the great thing is is it's all backed up by science you know it's not it's not hippie it's not fluffy it's not woohoo you know it's all actually scientifically proven to have huge impact on our lives for the better not just emotionally and mentally but physically as well you know it's life-changing it really is life-changing so simple things like standing in your back garden looking at the sky if that's the very best you can do you're doing something it could be going into the office car park and leaning against a tree in the car park it could be opening the window and taking a breath of the air it doesn't have you don't have to be frolicking through the woods <laughs> you know you can find something listen look smell touch you know take your shoes and socks off and see how it makes you feel when you reconnect with the natural world your connection with other people improves and other things improve and your connection with yourself improves so you know this is a really really positive thing not just for the planet but for humankind itself you know um, and we've got to do something because, you know, the past few years has shown us that if we don't, you know, tragedies are occurring all over the planet for various different reasons because of our behaviour, because of our disconnection, because of the way we're treating the natural world, because of the way we're treating our planet that gives us life and it needs to change. Alright folks, what's going on? It's Tom here and I'm excited to bring you another episode of Second Mind, the show that empowers you to be your best self and better our world. You know, right now, humanity is facing some great challenges. In the last 50 years, we have destroyed 50% of all wildlife on Earth and there's more carbon dioxide in our atmosphere than any time in human history, causing a, a climate breakdown. It's clear that our society's relationship to nature is way out of balance. I find it odd that we've built our society at the expense of our environmental health. We need thriving nature to give us clean air, water, food and materials. Nature really is our literal life support system, but we're pushing it to the breaking point. Whilst all of this environmental destruction is happening, people in the UK spend an average of 90% of their time indoors each day, disconnected from nature. So how can we change our relationship to the natural world and set a course for a better future? I believe that the most important element we need to address is our disconnection from nature. How can we truly value nature when we don't even feel connected to it? If we all individually build a connection to our natural world and love and respect it, it gives us fantastic, fertile bedrock for us all to work together and create a sustainable society and solve these massive planetary issues that we now face. Today's podcast is all about nature connection, a powerful process where an individual can use their senses to mindfully engage with the elements and environments of the natural world. I have the brilliant Faith Douglas as my guest, who has made a career out of helping people to discover their own relationship to nature. She runs forest bathing courses in the UK where people use mindfulness to experience the magic of woodlands. She is also the curator for Thorpe Perot Arboretum, where people can visit and discover many different types of trees. She has recently completed her awesome new book called The Nature Remedy, 
a brilliant guide to help anyone connect back with all the elements of the natural world, from the sky to the earth to the trees. In the podcast today, Faith tells her really moving story of how she found her connection to nature through her own personal challenges and how she started to work with forest bathing. She shares her tips on how to generate a connection with nature, using your senses to relax your mind and body. We cover many of the amazing scientifically proven benefits of nature connection for mental and physical health and talk about the power of digital detoxing. The conversation also covers why nature connection is crucial for our society as a whole, helping us to hopefully rebalance our connection with the natural world. Nature connection is such a valuable subject to be talking about because it is a free practice available to anyone and the value of spending mindful time in the natural world is often underestimated and overlooked. Faith is so passionate on the subject and she shares some great tips and knowledge for enhancing your connection to nature in the episode. Do reflect on your own connection to the natural world whilst listening. You know, ask yourself, when was the last time you really took a moment to notice, you know, really notice and appreciate the flight of a a passing bird or a great old oak tree in your local park. So I invite you to keep your mind open, listen and enjoy. Peace. All right, let's get this thing going. Faith, welcome to the Second Mind podcast. It is really good to have you here. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I was walking around um, before it started raining down today with thunderstorms and all all kinds of weather. Um, I was immersing myself in some nature connection. I was thinking how much I was looking forward to talking with you today about this whole topic. So I find it utterly interesting. Uh, great stuff. Thank you very much, Tom. It's lovely of you to uh, invite me along to have a chat to you, um, talking about my favourite thing, favourite thing in the world. So yeah, no, it's great. Thank you. You know, when I was doing the the research for our chat today, I had a look um, at your uh, Nature Connection Facebook page and you posted something recently um, with Dr. Jane Goodall reading uh, what yeah. happened when we all stopped. And yeah. I hadn't encountered this before, so I clicked, it was a video, I clicked the video yeah. and listened to the poem um, yeah. that was read by Dr. Jane Goodall. And it said, it starts with a whisper, a word in the air that can't quite be heard, but you know that it's there. And I, uh, I thought it was such a per- pertinent time to get these words out, because with the current scenario that we've got, everybody's you know, because of the, the COVID-19, we're all slowing down and spending more time doing doing less. But it's actually given us a really valuable opportunity to get more connected with nature, amongst other things. And you have just, just uh, we're on the cusp of releasing your book, The Nature Remedy. And I think all of this is just perfect timing because this is exactly what people need right now. Yeah, I, I I came across that video. It's such a lovely video on Facebook. It just came up on my feed. Um, I forget who shared it. And um, I watched it and I think it's aimed at children, actually. Um, but it's so meaningful. I'm not sure when it was recorded, if it's been done recently, but it is so, so meaningful given the situation everybody's in right now. You know, three months ago, we were told to stay at home, not to go outdoors. And I think... 
you know, once people are are told not to do something, you almost crave it. And I found that in the area that we live in, uh, I've never seen so many people walking around, cycling, people, I, I had no idea they lived in this area, actually. Um, we, we live near a public footpath, which leads from a village to a quite a small market town, um, but we have no neighbours or anything. And the amount of people walking along this footpath, families, people cycling, lone, you know, dog walkers, people just walking, just simply walking. Um, mm. And we've been blessed with the weather as well. So I think it's almost, you know, because we to- we, we, we've kind of been told uh, one, uh, during one part of this that you can't have it. And we've craved it. We've craved what's actually really good for us. That's that's what I believe. I know um, in my family makeup, we spend an awful lot of time in nature and outdoors anyway. Um, but we've even done even more, you know, connections outside than what we've ever done in our lives. Um, our, our garden's looking absolutely fabulous, like most people's in the country's gardens are absolutely amazing now, right now. And, and people have really found this connection, which is a natural collect connection, um, again, in their lives. And it's wonderful. And I just hope that, you know, that given restrictions have been lifted and people are kind of trying to get back to their normal lives, that perhaps they will remember this time and remember their need for the outdoors their need for the natural world perhaps their fascination with the bees and the flowers in their gardens or the sky above their heads um and the message that life has almost had that we need to slow down you know we need to have calm and peace in our lives and when you do slow down you you really do start to notice things so it's been a, a a really interesting time very very sad for for many many people um but yeah it, it it's you know my book is is coming out at a time when i really think people need it actually mm and you know i really want to get into all of the the amazing content in your books i've really enjoyed looking through it and reading it but uh Thank you. The, the, the poem itself that, that I just referenced, um, I really think that the fact that we've, you know, you were saying people are out walking in the local areas and paying attention to the nature that's around them. They are actually being able to hear these whispers that are coming through from nature. It's like a, it's like a intuitive connection that we all have and people are starting to like latch onto that again. Um, yeah. And as you were saying, you know, once the restrictions are, are lifted, it, it can be very tempting for people to go back to their normal rhythms, but I'm hoping that they're going to really remember that whisper that came forward during the yeah. lockdown about this, yeah. this value of the connection that we have. And people can yeah. remember that during times of crisis or any other time in your life, nature is, is always there for us. You know, it's always giving and it's always present um, and we yeah. just have to be able to hear it it's always there you know it it's it's forgiving it's non-judgmental and it supports our life you know that says everything really and it's you know we, we, you talked about the whispers it started with a whisper and if you go back to march and april when it very first you know the lockdown started um i i work in an arboretum and it's 100 acres and it's usually open to the public we've actually only just opened back up again within the last week and in the springtime, it's, it's one of the busiest times of the year for us. We have um, the amount of blooms and bulbs and blossom and bluebells that are flowering within the springtime period 
is unbelievable and people come from all over the country to, to have a look to visit us and this spring has been absolutely amazing and sadly nobody could come to, to witness it so I did a lot of um, virtual tours um, online to try and show people what what we had you know the daffodils haven't looked so good the blossom was absolutely fabulous the bluebells were it was just a sea of blue everywhere you looked and we sort of said to each other in the arboretum you know has it ever looked this good and then it got me thinking I was thinking well or is it just the fact that we're noticing it, it's always looking this good it's always this amazing but perhaps we just don't take the time to notice you know, and nature's sort of chucked us a lifeline, didn't it? It chucked us amazing weather. It took chucked us fascinating blossoms and blooms. You know, the gardens never looked so good. The flowers never bloomed so much. The birds have never sung so loudly. But it did make me think that, you know, perhaps we just don't notice. That's why we just don't notice it looking that good as it has done this year. Mm. And you, know, you mentioned there that you work in an arboretum. Um, yeah, I know that also from um, our chat before the call and uh, and looking on your website, you also do forest bathing work and um, and also you've written this book, The Nature Remedy. But that's not your 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 original career, is it? You started off in nursing. So I was wondering if you could tell the listeners how you got from nursing to being in this nature connection space and working in the arboretum. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting journey and, and one that I believe right from, um, as you might have read in the book, um, right from my childhood has kind of led me to where I am right now. And that that's really what I truly believe. So as a child, um, we grew up in leafy Harrogate. It's known for being a very beautiful place. We lived near the pine woods. So we had woodland and gardens as our playground. We were very lucky. And my parents were very, you know, they worked very hard Monday to Friday, sometimes weekends. And on an evening, they would take us to the woods for a walk. We would go spotting bats. Um, we might go to the beach, but it was always a really deserted beach. It was never, it was always off the beaten track. You know, my dad had this great belief as, you know, and he used to say, you do not need to leave the country to go on holiday because there's so much to see in this country. And he's not wrong. You know, we're very lucky with where we live. So true. And... Uh, Oh, yeah. And, you know, so we we never went abroad as children. You know, we used to go to Scotland, to Wales, and we were always staying on farms or deserted islands in the middle of a loch somewhere up, up high up in Scotland, uh, surrounded by nature. Um, and we loved it. You know, as kids, it's, it's your playground, isn't it? It's your classroom, it's your playground, even now. Uh, you know, and we had a fabulous time growing up. And then when I hit my teens it became a bit boring. It was like, well, do I have to? You know, your arms grow a bit longer and your lip comes down, doesn't it? And you're sort of like, I really don't want to do that. It's boring. <laughs> it's not cool to hang out with my parents. And you kind of become a little bit insular as a teenager, I think. Um, so in my teens, I sort of didn't really... Um, I mean, I still did did what I did, hung out where I hung out. Um, so it was always kind of there. Um, but my connection probably dropped off slightly in my teens. And when I left school, I went into nursing um, and I worked predominantly with um, elderly, mentally infirm and mm. with people with neurological disabilities. So people that were paralysed, perhaps had brain tumours, um, MS, strokes, certain diseases, which which made life was very, very difficult. Mm. Um, and I did that for 13 years and I'm... 
and like many people in the nursing career or any sort of caregiving career you're a natural carer you know you you look after people it's your you just want to nurture everybody and everything you come in, in contact it's the kind of personality people have in those professions and you know the one person I wasn't nurturing was myself actually which has taken me 40 odd years to realize you know um but I really wasn't nurturing myself and I'd go and do my shift at work I had two young children at the time and I'd come home and I'd be stressed I'd be upset I'd be bothered and I lived on the outskirts of Harrogate by this time and again I lived near the countryside I had woods at the back of my house I used to walk after my shifts in the woods uh, I used to take the kids for walks through the woods we used to go to the beach we used to walk the dogs down through the fields and I found myself after work when it was a particularly hard day I would go and sit either by a little stream or, or have a wander through the woods and I didn't really know what I was doing or why I was doing it but I knew it made me feel really good and it made me feel better and happier and more relaxed yeah. um, and I got to a point in my life where I was really like is this all I can do you know and I wasn't happy at work I, I was fascinated with plants I, I had a, a small garden at the time but my garden was full of herbs and, and plants that are useful, plants that could be used. It absolutely fascinated me. Um, and it's that real science between the medical profession and people, actually, and the plant life. It's, it's, it's all science. And actually, um, it's so closely related that perhaps we don't, you know, spend enough time researching these connections that we have. And um, so it was a natural, you know, curiosity I had, I suppose. Um, and plant life, you know, it, it's not that different to human life. We're incredibly closely connected. Um, so it was a, a natural hobby of mine to have. Um, and I decided to change my career. And I was sort of, people sort of said, you know, well, what, what do you like doing? What's your passion? You know, it's very well, I love plants. And they said, well, you know, retrain. And I, I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And I was very, well, I can't do that. You know, of course I can't do that. I've been doing this for 13 years. There's no way I could change what I'm doing. I'm not big enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not smart enough. Um, and I happened to um, just take the plunge. And I, I went for an interview at a charity called Horticap. Um, and this is a, um, a charity in Harrogate that works with people with learning difficulties and challenging behaviour in a horticultural environment and it's very therapeutic um, but the nursing sort of disappears but it's very therapeutic is the environment and mm. they have a huge nursery you grow plants you do um, cuttings propagation you sell plants it's open to the public but you also go out on site so you go out and cut people's grass you perhaps do small garden renovations that sort of thing we did crafts we had, I didn't realise I had such a huge passion for crafts until I started working there. I was amazed what I could make with very little things. Um, so I, I, I still think by fluke to this day, I actually got, got the job uh, at Horticap. And it was a really gentle blend for me. And they supported me through training. Um, so going back to school again, I worked during the day. I learned on an evening. I also had the kids. So it's quite hard work, but it, it didn't feel like work because it was, I, I just loved it. I was loving life. You know, I'd found my passion. I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah. And I remember one time working with uh, Phil, who's a great friend of mine who still works at Horticap. And he'd come from a very similar background to me. He, he'd worked with deaf children in like a, a care home. And we were both in the greenhouse watering away and 
we sort of looked at each other and we were like, can you believe we do this for a job? <laughs> and we were just watering a greenhouse. And it was, it was at that moment yeah. that I really sort of realised, I thought, my gosh, you know, I've done it. This is it. This is happiness. This is what life is all about, you know. Mm. Um, and I, I ended up having uh, my youngest son, Elliot. So I became pregnant and I had to take some time out. And we'd moved house and we lived about, um, I was still working at, at Horticat, but I was on maternity leave. Um, and we'd moved house nearer the Arboretum, which is about 45 minutes from Harrogate, which is where Horticap is. So I did a bit of commuting, which was fine. And um, although we lived around the corner from the Arboretum, which is just outside of Beedale, I'd never actually visited the Arboretum. One of those things, I suppose, where crazily I had a massive love of trees and plants and it was on my doorstep, but I'd never actually made the time to visit, which I think a lot of people are guilty of that. Um, so I I was busy walking my dogs one day and um, we bumped into a young man in the fields and he had dogs as well and we got chatting and he sort of said to me you know um you know what where do you live what do you do and I had no idea I was talking to my now boss um who was the landowner's son at the time um I had no idea about him or his family or the area at all and mm. I just sort of said, oh, yeah, I work in horticulture. And he said, well, actually, my father owns the Arboretum and we're actually, we might we might be looking to employ somebody. Um, would you mind dropping your CV in? And I was pregnant with Elliot at the time, so I was happy in my job. And I was like, well, yeah, OK. Um, and I walked off with the dogs and I didn't give it a second thought. You know, I, I didn't hand in my CV. Um, I just carried on with my life. And I suppose this is where the universe was kind of a bit insistent, I suppose. And I, I was actually sanding the floors of Elliot's nursery at the time. So you can imagine the state I looked. Um, and I was <laughs> quite pregnant as well. And I had this knock on the door and this um, very well-dressed gentleman was standing um, at the door, um, quite eccentric. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm John Rotner. Um, you must be Faith. And I said, yes. And he said, um, he said, I heard that you're a bloody good horticulturalist. And I was like, okay, I have no idea who you are, um, what you're doing here. And he said, would you mind coming to speak to my wife, Nikki, who's in the Land Rover down the road? So I was like, okay. So I left the house and I walked down the road with this man, this man I've never seen before. And um, I went to the Land Rover and there was Nikki or Lady Rotner, Lady R, as I know her now, um, laid in the back of the Land Rover because she'd broken her knee the day before. And she said, you know, hi, shook my hand and everything through the window of the Land Rover. And they said, you know, would you mind coming to the house to have a chat with us? We're really looking for somebody. Um, it's great that you live so locally. Um, would you come and have a chat? So I was like, OK. And they were really insistent. So I was like, well, I need to go. This is knocked on my door quite literally. So I need to do something about it. Yeah. Um, so a few evenings later, I went to Thorpe Perrow, to the Arboretum, um, went to this huge stately home. Um, knocked on the door and I felt very small and I was like hi um, I was offered a gin I think I, which I declined because of being pregnant <laughs> obviously and I'm not a drinker in the best of times um, I stuck to water um, and they offered me the job of curator and you know curator of the Arboretum which is a huge job it's yeah. a huge pair of boots to fill so I was terrified but of course I said yes because you don't turn that down if it's come to you like that of course um, so what I had a lot yeah, I had a lot of learning, a serious lot of learning to do. So I started pretty much straight away whilst I was still pregnant. Um, I went alongside the then curator, Terry Exley. He was a lovely man. He was so patient with me. And I, I sort of wandered around with him and just 
led you know I just he he just led me around the arboretum and drip feeded me information constantly and I was like a sponge just soaking it all up I suppose mm. and I, I had Elliot and I was I was pretty soon back to work after I had Elliot and in, so then I was like you know feet first into the arboretum um and I'm still there and that was 11 years ago um you know and working in the arboretum I eventually I stayed for another year at Horticap um I set up my own plant center clearly I was bored I didn't have enough to do um and I was really starting to interact with people more within sort of the arboretum and a plant center sort of uh, way and and seeing how people lived within their gardens I did some garden design work some maintenance for people um I found a real sort of love of show gardening and things like that and it's it's good fun more than anything so and I really thought that I wouldn't ever work with people as such again um I was kind of in the mindset you know I'd I'd had it with people and that sounds I don't mean to sound you know rude or horrible but I'd really had it and I was like you know plants aren't mean they're not unkind you know they don't say cruel things they don't make me feel bad you know I can't go wrong with plants um and I had this real sort of distrust of of, of humans I suppose which is really sad it's, it's really sad but that's the way I felt and I really didn't think I'd ever work with human beings again and um, mm. in that sort of capacity and I ended up um I, I sadly split from my husband at the time and found myself on my own and I I couldn't deal with the plant set so I, I shut that down and things mm. um and I embarked on a new relationship um which sadly became very violent um it was it's quite hard for me to say I was in an abusive relationship because for many years I was in complete denial about the fact I'd even let myself get into that relationship which mm. it, it's hard to explain and until it's happened to you you know people judge don't they and I suppose I judged myself as well you know I sat there how could you do this how could this happen to you how could you have allowed this like I allowed it to happen um mm. and it's taken quite a long time for me to come to terms actually with what happened um, and during the time that I was in this relationship and struggling with life, struggling to remain as normal as possible, even though I had this crisis happening to me, um, stay completely normal for the kids, make sure everything appeared completely normal, carry on at work, carry on holding down my jobs and being okay, which is, you know, a lot of women and men who are in abusive relationships have to carry on. And it's, and they do carry on, which it, it takes some doing. It really, really does take some doing. Yeah. Um, and I was offered um, some work at Help for Heroes. And this was working with people who were recovering from illness and injury, um, who were leaving the army and who, ha who had also left the army already. Um, and they wanted to come uh, and do a project. So I sort of said, you know, we've got this space in the arboretum I'd really like to build an education garden everyone's got one but us um let's do this I'd love to do something for kids and you know an outdoor classroom somewhere where they can learn and and really get in touch with nature and um, so they came along and we did this bit of project and the guys came every week and we used to have this laugh that every day they came it rained so I'm pretty sure the whole of the year that they came for that project it rained all year I'm sure it did <laughs> because every single day it rained when they came <laughs> And yeah. we had a great time and, and there was there was one particular and I was sort of like just 
you know, I'd done the little bit of the horticultural as therapy with Horticat, but this was a completely different bag. This was very complex mental health, um, or the majority of it was. And I remember one um, young man coming one day and he was really down. He didn't speak. He wouldn't make eye contact, wouldn't even lift his head up, bless him. And there was only a small group of them. And I sort of said, you know, is he all right? And they were like, well, we'll see how it goes. He hasn't slept very well. You know, this guy had complex PTSD um, from, you know, uh, contact in Afghanistan and he didn't sleep. You know, he re- he was really struggling on this particular day. It was quite hard for him. And um, he came along not speaking, not having a good time. And I sort of said, right. And it was at the beginning of the project. And I said, right, I'd like to build a wigwam. And he was like, he piped up and he said, you know, I know exactly how to build it. And we'd already cut some trees down. So we had these big, long stems. And he said, I know exactly how to do this. So he set about showing us all how to make this wigwam literally out of lengths of tree. So some great big stems from conifers that we removed the tops from and string. That's effectively all he used. And there was lots of tying string, wrapping it, twisting it, hiking big lumps of wood around. And we finally got this wigwam structure up that Mm. day. And by the end of the day, you know, this guy, he bounced out of the Arboretum. He had his head held high. He'd achieved something. He was pleased with what he'd done. He'd been outside all day. Yes, it was raining, but it was another one of those days. But, you know, he left feeling great. And Mm. I witnessed all of this and I was like, my gosh, you know, that is so simple, so natural, so easy, and so, you know, so much common sense, but yet why aren't we doing it? So I really, it, it really struck me that there was something there. And I, I ended up being offered a job at Health for Heroes, and I went up to the centre on a weekly basis and worked with the veterans and the people leaving the army um, and the other services. And um, I really loved it, but it gave me a deeper sort of sense of, um, you know, mental health and my specific role was around, um, you know, working outdoors, working with plants, working outside in the woods. We would go for walks. And my friend, I'd, I'd, I'd started to get in my personal life. I suppose I a turning point came in my personal life where I got out of the relationship I was in, the relationship that was incredibly damaging for me. Yeah. And I don't, I can't even say how I did it. I don't know how it happened and I suppose a lot of it is you forget stuff as well you forget stuff that's unpleasant and I'd quite like to forget it if I'm honest um but I got out I know I got out I'd started to research mindfulness already because the mindfulness was a way of me coping in the relationship I was in so I'd started studying learning a bit about mindfulness already and I suppose practicing the mindfulness was giving me a deeper sense of me I suppose and I was reconnecting with myself, which is probably how I got the the courage, I suppose, because that's what it is. It's great courage and the chance that life gave me to get out of the relationship I was in. And I don't quite know when it popped into my life, but forest bathing came up and I read, you know, what bits I could find out about it. And I found out it was a, a study um, that had been done over in Japan and they'd found in the research which they'd done in the 1980s so quite you know old research really um that they found that when we inhale certain oils wood oils that trees give off 
it has a direct effect on our nervous system. So it reduces our heart rate, our blood pressure, balances our cortisol levels. So it affects our stress. It can help us sleep better, helps with pain. We recover quicker from illness and injury, helps with behavior problems, depression, PTSD, anxiety. All these things were coming up. And I'd, I'd read the little bit I could find because there wasn't a huge amount. And I realized by this time I'd moved into the woods. So I lived in a house in the woods and my whole life revolved around the woods, being outside, the natural world, animals, and my job and my kids, and, and, and that's it, really. And I realised pretty much a lot of the stuff I'd been doing was this, and that's why it made me feel better. You know, that's why these guys and girls that came and worked with me felt better. And I was like, hmm, this is, you know, there's something here. I couldn't find anything in this country at all. Um, it was all America and Japan at the time. Um, so I started doing some more sort of um, practicing what I preach. Um, I was um, experimenting with myself, with my kids, bless them, um, mm-hmm. and people that I'd met through Help for Heroes. I was like, should we go for a walk? You know, tell me how this feels. How, you know, how does that feel? What do you think about that? And lots of talking. And, do you know, the response was absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, not just how I felt, but how other people felt as well. Mm. And I set up my business Forest Bathing UK um, just because there was nothing in this country at the time. And I wanted to share with others the benefit from this that you can get. And uh, we started at Health for Heroes. Kelly, uh, one of the instructors there at the time, set up the health and well-being programme. And, you know, Kelly's a great friend of mine and we still do a lot of workshops and retreats together now. She's a, a yoga teacher and um, she she gave me the chance to put forest bathing on the program so the guys would come to Thorpe Perrow we'd have a walk around and and it would done be done in such a way that you know perhaps they were receiving therapy but it wasn't done in a therapeutic uh, environment it was well not the standard therapeutic environment in the natural therapeutic environment environment yeah feedback was absolutely amazing And it kind of made me a bit braver to sort of go, you know, I can do this. You know, I've been doing it for ages and not really realising. So I've been taking, you know, groups. I run workshops. Um, I work with YAS, which is the Yorkshire Agricultural Society. And I run workshops on mindfulness in nature um, for school teachers, primary school teachers, which they deliver free of charge um, to school teachers in this area. So we can bring it into classrooms so that children learn these coping techniques which are all around us if you take the time to stop slow down as we said earlier and become aware of our natural surroundings and I realized you know I I, you know it's so much more than just being in the woods there's so much more more than being in the trees um you know you can achieve these therapeutic results um anywhere in in the natural world you know you can go up a mountain you can go to the beach, you can go under a waterfall, you can go in a meadow, you don't have to have a tree in sight. I've been to the desert, you know, I practiced mindfulness in the desert. It was amazing, completely different, quite challenging, but absolutely amazing. It doesn't have to be in a wooded environment like a lot of people think. Um, mm. I was approached by HarperCollins and um, I was approached by them on Twitter, actually. And um, at first I had a message from a lovely lady and she sort of said, oh, I wonder if we could have a chat about an article. And 
I'm rubbish at the best of time with my email and social media and things. And I, I, I really do believe in practicing what I preach and I try really hard not to be online and it doesn't sit right with me at the best of times. Um, so I'm always pretty slow to get back to people. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, I'd love to help. I, I, yeah, I can answer your questions. Um, and she she asked to speak to me and she sort of said, you know, I'm I'm from HarperCollins. And I was like, oh, blimey, that's a bit serious. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. it's a, bit, a bit more than my local newspaper, which is what I was used to. And um, she sort of said, you know, we, we'd love if you, if you would consider. I, I told her my story, what I did, where I lived, where I worked. And she, she said, you know, I'd love it if you, you could consider. We'd send a couple of people up to see you. Um and you would consider writing about forest bathing for us. Um, and I said, I'd love to, I, you know, if I can, I'd love to, um, because I'd, I'd already written articles for people. I, I wrote a column in a newspaper, local newspapers, and I'd written articles online and things. So I actually enjoyed writing, which is just as well, because um, believe me, this was challenging. And, um, you know, uh, so she sent a couple of ladies up who were absolutely lovely and, I got talking to them, I, I walked them around the Arboretum, but I said to them, you know, I said, it's so much more than forest bathing. Forest bathing is a drop in the ocean, to put it bluntly. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tiny bit, you know, you can get so much more. And they went away and they thought about it and I gave them some examples and I sort of said, you know, just look at the sky, you know, cloud gazing. It's something we put down to children, don't we? You know, look at the clouds, you make fluffy pictures up. You know, I've had I've had grown adults fast asleep in fields just from simply sitting there laying back yeah. and looking at the, the clouds as they go by in the sky. Mm. It's such a soothing thing to do. Um, simply things like flying a kite you know it's such a great you know you get a bit of breeze on the air it's mindful it's kind of childlike it's simple it's easy it's cheap um but it's kind of we see it's all very childlike you know um hunting for bugs for example you know we do all the time here we've got bug hotels bug trapdoors all sorts of things and we'll often sit in the garden and watch the bees and see what they're doing and where they're going and the sort of flowers they're landing on and stuff and I think because we've become so chaotic and busy, our society has become so chaotic and busy, we forget about these little simple pleasures. You know, the, the natural world is filled with wonder and us as human beings are, you know, a huge part of that natural world, but we're fascinated by it if we allow ourselves to be and if we stop and slow down and look and listen, you mm. know. Um, just simply watching the bees is such a calming, calming thing to do but I think, you know, some people, they don't even notice the bees are there, which is really, really sad. Um, so the book has, has kind of become a real sort of, I delved into absolutely everything I could think about. And I said to them, I said, you know, it starts with the sky above our head and it starts with the earth beneath our feet. And I believe it really, really does. You know, the, we breathe the air, we walk upon the earth. There's no getting away from that, you know the animals that we live alongside because we we are animals at the end of the day and I write about the fact that you know we are animals and I think a lot of people forget that <laughs> you know we're all related we're all connected you know it might be millions of years and all the rest of it down the the um, evolution line and ladder but but we are all connected and it's the same with plants you know plants make up most of our diet our healthy diet is plant-based mm. um you know there's there's no getting away from this um, the seasons, the weather, it affects, as you said, you'd, um, you'd heard the thunderstorms. 
you know, thunderstorms are thrilling, aren't they? They're so exciting. And we had thunder, um, thunder, thunder and lightning last night, actually. Here, it was, it was into the evening and we were actually, our gazebo, we've got this blow-up gazebo and it, it, it got a puncture. So we were trying to figure it out and fix the puncture and blow it back up again. And um, so we were in the garden and you could hear the rumble of thunder but you know it wasn't raining or anything but you could hear the rumbling in the clouds above our heads slightly into the distance and when you looked out over the fields because we can see for for quite a distance where we live um you could see the storm in the distance but you can you know it's so much more than that you can feel the storm coming can't you you really can feel it you know your hairs will stand on end some people get storm headaches um, but it was fascinating because my, my youngest daughter's two years old and obviously she will have, you know, she's been here for two years. So she will have perhaps um, experienced a storm, but not as a two year old. So we were, you know, I, I just love having the children because they I get to experience things all over again. And it's fascinating because watching her, her eyes open like saucers to this rumbling of the clouds and she's like what is that should I be afraid should I be amazed what is that noise where is it coming from she can't see it but she knows there's something so we all sat in the garden gave up on the gazebo all sat in the garden and um we were just listening we were just sat she was sat on daddy's jumper and and, and we were just listening um to the storm watching it come over and just experiencing it as a family and actually it was amazing it was absolutely amazing you know and I believe you know if we slow down you know there's so much out there um and it's good for us you know it, it can really support our our very existence on this planet yeah absolutely and the you know coming back to the the nature remedy book I think it's yeah. a, a fantastic piece of work that you've done because you have fused together science with cultural wisdom which is yeah. you know things that humanity has known since since we have been a separate species on this planet like innate things that like you were referencing your children there this this yeah. wonder that we all have um at a deep level about looking at nature and you know that it's not just as you're saying, forest, it's the, the sky and the earth. And the, what's, what's fantastic about your book is, is that it really is quite comprehensive in, in that it gives you a complete sort of Bible of different ways you can look um, at nature connection and start to build your, your own connection. Um, but I, I was wondering that if you were to, to define for people who don't aren't really familiar about what nature connection is. It's a bit of an abstract term. Like how would you sort of give a short summary to what nature connection is, the sort of elevator pitch? I think I would, when I first meet people, I would say, you know, it's about switching on. It's about connecting with the outdoors. Um, and we've been given senses. Everybody senses, everybody experiences senses in a different way. But if you really switch on your senses, nature does the rest. So, for example, you know, it, it might be something as simple as just take the time to simply listen. Um, and it's often the more you listen, the more you hear. You know, you can close your eyes, you can cup your hands behind your ears um, or look. Again, the more you look, the more you see. 
feel, you know, get hands on. We're a nation of do not touch. But as long as you're not damaging, there's no reason why you can't go up, touch a tree, put your hands on the ground, take your shoes and socks off, you know, feel that connection properly. Um, it's the first thing we do when we're on a beach, when we go on holiday, we whip our shoes and socks off. It feels great. It feels natural. You know, mm. people do it unconsciously. You know, notice smells because when we're walking around, the smells are all there. But until you actually harness them and tune into them, a lot of people aren't even aware they're there. Um, I set some sort of natural precepts to try to live by because I believe, you know, it. I, I get... You know, a lot of people have very high tech lives, a lot of technology, um, a lot of people have very busy lives. They might live and work in cities, the polar opposite to what, what I how I live my life. And I totally recognize, um, you know, that I might have it quite idealistic compared to a lot of people. Um, but if you um, if you set some simple precepts for yourself and make it a habit, a really healthy habit, you know, it's life changing. It really is life changing. So simple things like go out into nature every day. My precepts I talk about in the book. So go out into nature every single day. Um, and this could be simply standing in your back garden, looking at the sky. If that's the very best you can do, you're doing something. Mm. It could be going into the office car park and leaning against a tree in the car park. It could be opening the window and taking a breath of the air. It doesn't have you don't have to be frolicking through the woods, <laughs> you know, you can find something um, every day. Try and be na- mindful in nature. So like I was saying, opening up your senses, listen, look, smell, touch, you know, take shoes and socks off and see how it makes you feel. Mm. And if you're immersing yourself um, in these mindful activities, the mind will calm and the mind will soothe because a lot of people um, struggle with meditation and the other kinds of therapeutic things you can do um, to help busy minds um, and help things like anxiety and depression but if you're actually working with your senses you're actually doing something so it kind of makes it easier so listening meditations are great if you can get somewhere where there's lots of birds singing and each time the mind kicks in you pull yourself back what can I hear you know what can I hear what am I listening to what am I listening to and you'll be surprised how quickly the thoughts disappear because nature's quite noisy, actually. It's very noisy. And the other precept is every day to say thank you to nature. You know, to have gratitude to something that we're so deeply connected um, brings appreciation, doesn't it? And to have mm. gratitude brings happiness. It brings joyfulness and it brings wonder. And we're such a big part of the natural world. You're you're almost being grateful for yourself as well as everything else. Mm. Yeah, so powerful. And you were referencing earlier about just standing in the garden and looking up at the sky. And yeah. when I was walking around today, I was really struck. I did a sort of mindful walk around my local park. And I just got to this point where... I was inhaling some air through my nose, standing next to a group of trees. And you could just, when you were paying attention to what you were smelling, you could smell all of the different, it was almost like I could tell the different saps of each tree. I didn't know, you know, what the, maybe even the tree was called, but I was picking up with my senses. But the the fantastic thing is, is that even if those trees weren't there, if I, even if I was in, you know, I just a garden with really bare grass, basically, you know, nothing really special to look at through 
um, someone who loves spending time in wild environments, you can still connect with the fact that you're breathing in the air that's been produced by all of our wonderful vegetation throughout the planet. And people can connect to things that might not seem like they are living, but they are part of all of the, the energetic exchanges of all life on this planet. And that, that is a connection that we all can share. Absolutely. You know, every single living thing, everything on this this planet is connected and there's no getting away from that. Evolution tells us that. Science tells us that. And that's the great thing about doing what I do and, and writing about what I've written about is science backs up absolutely everything. For those people who it's not not good enough to just know that it makes them feel good. You know, for me, I'm very much, it makes me feel good. I'm liking this. It's good for me. I kind of know what's good for me. But some people need stats. They need to read evidence. They need to see evidence. Um, yeah. And that, that's absolutely fine. But the great thing is, is it's all backed up by science. You know, it's not, it's not hippie. It's not fluffy. It's not woohoo. You know, it's all actually scientifically proven to have huge impact on our lives for the better mm. not just emotionally and mentally but physically as well you know you can get you you talked about the simple grass for example a lot of therapeutic gardens have something called snoozel lawns and you know they will perhaps go and lay somebody uh, somebody who's quite sensory deprived actually perhaps somebody who can't see who can't hear so perhaps experiences the natural world very differently to somebody who can see and hear they will actually go and lay them on the grass so they will get skin contact. Um, you know, perhaps they can't walk, for example. So it could be their arm or their leg or their hands that make contact with the ground. And just make, making skin contact with the grass, with the ground, has huge, not just emotional and mental benefits, but physical benefits. So again, the blood pressure will drop. The heart rate will start to slow down. You will f have an overall feeling of calmness. You know, and grass in itself is fascinating. And I say to a lot of people, you know, it's not just green. We kind of take it for granted, don't we? Grass is amazing, actually. If you really take the time looking at grass, it's actually quite interesting. Mm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, really the the whole like core of the, the Nature Connection work is is about seeing the the wonder and the beauty in even the most simple things. And you know, it's much it's a much easier access point if we're all presented with a lovely view of like a mountain scene or like a, a really like ancient forest. You know, a lot of people will find that beautiful. But when you start to pick up on the signals, you become more attuned to them and you can start to see them even in things which you might have walked past every day before. And, and uh, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that it's not just about feeling good at the time. It's about it's, it's being backed up by science as well. And it's having long term yeah. positive impact on people's health. And you, you go into this really well in the book. I was so happy to see there's a whole list of references at the back with different scientific studies. Um, yeah. And there's there's uh, references to things that are even people will consider them non non living, but they're still having a positive mm. impact on our health. There was one example that you used where waterfalls Standing next yeah. to a waterfall, it creates yeah. negative ions. And then these negative yeah. ions, when they uh, hit our body, they can impact our cells positively and it reduces depression and increases our metabolism and helps our immune system. And these are Absolutely. just huge things. And it's, uh, 
if you know if you invented a pill that did all that someone would be making billions and billions of pounds off of it but this is available for everybody uh, well the great thing about nature is is it's free of charge you know, that's what I say to a lot of people. You can do this. Anybody can do this. It's easy. You know, you don't need to learn it. You don't need to read my book. You don't need to do anything like that. Just go outside and be and allow. It's that simple. And actually, it's free of charge. It costs nothing. I had um, an interesting experience myself, which again, aided the writing of the book. Um, and I believe these experiences are sort of sent to test you, aren't they? And and, and it, it really is how I, when I talked earlier that, you know, everything in life has sort of set me up to be where I am, I think. And talking about scientific studies, um, which is sort of relevant to the lockdown we've just experienced as well, um, is, you know, what, and I got thinking, you know, what if you can't get to nature? What if you cannot go outside for whatever reason, whether it's health reason, whether you're locked down, whatever, what if you cannot get to nature? What do you do? Mm. And when I had my youngest daughter, I became very ill I had a blood clot in my lung and went into heart failure I was very very sick and my daughter was born early and very small and she was in uh, special care and we were both in hospital in Middlesbrough so big busy university hospital really built up area and we were both in there for five weeks and this was um an experience completely, you know, we don't plan for these things. We like to be in control of these things. And I, I knew she was coming early. So I had, a, and I've experienced special care before. So I kind of knew what was coming there, but I didn't expect to be poorly. I didn't expect, I didn't, you know, like the best illnesses, you don't see them coming at all, do you? Um, so it really knocked me, me for six. And mm. she was born the beginning of February and the weather was very snowy. This was two years ago. It was very, very snowy and cold up here. And I wasn't actually allowed to leave the hospital for obvious reasons. And within the hospital, there was quadrangles, like little small patches of garden in amongst all the buildings. And most of the doors were locked. It was obviously winter. They probably didn't want the patients going out there in the snow. And the weather was freezing. Um, so I really struggled to find some anchor for me, something for me, something to do that I know would make me feel good and would make me feel better and it would aid my recovery mm. I would sit in special care where I spent most of my time hours and hours and hours of my time day and night and the window next to my daughter's crib um I looked out at a brick wall there was nothing inside there was no view there was no tree there was no sky I literally looked out at a brick wall um so I was really really struggling for myself and it did get me thinking because the book was sort of being talked about I'd, I I knew I had to write it um you know it, it was sort of coming I had to think about it so it was in the back of my mind and it made me think I was like gosh you know what if someone is stuck in hospital what if they can't leave the house you know how do they access nature you know I cannot access nature so what do I do um, and I found that um, one quite famous study is the study of um, when they have people in hospital beds, they recover quicker and more effectively next to a window versus somebody who's not next to a window, for example. Mm, a window looking onto, a, onto nature, I take yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a window looking onto nature. So yeah. if they can see trees and things, they, they feel happier, they have a happier disposition and they recover quicker and more effectively than somebody who doesn't have that. So there's a lot of studies behind that. And 
I found myself naturally searching for nature in the hospital. I was searching everywhere and I, I ended up looking or noticing the pictures on the walls of the hospital. And I don't know if you've ever hung out in a hospital, hopefully not, um, but <laughs> if you've ever noticed the things on the walls in certain hospitals and there's so much scenery, there's so many beautiful picturesque views in hospitals one room I spent an awful lot of time in and it was had a lot of negative um, emotions attached to it did this room um, to do with my own health and in this room was the most enormous picture of a tree and I think it was a sycamore you know at the end of the day my, my scientific and my work brain wants to give it a label but actually in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter what it was it was a tree and there was this huge tree on its own on this huge picture and I spent hours just looking and examining this tree just to help myself feel better and it did work I the the corridors certain corridors that I used to walk down a lot um because we were actually living in the hospital and and staying in the hospital and as well as visiting Lilith um there was pictures of fish there was hand-drawn pictures by children there was pictures of the Yorkshire Dales and the Yorkshire Moors there was all these beautiful nature view pictures and I, I took photographs before I left of all the pictures that helped me to remind myself of what I used to help myself and whilst I was researching for the book and writing the book um, I found that um, they did some studies and there, there'll be referenced somewhere um, I can't remember which university did them they, they did some studies with people so they put them in a room with no window with no windows no views no pictures and they showed them views on a screen and they had man-made views and, man and, and natural images to look at. And they chopped and changed the pictures. And at the same time, they monitored their um, reactions, their brain waves, their vital signs, that sort of thing while they did it. Mm. And they found that when people were looking upon man-made images, so perhaps traffic, lots of people in a busy shopping centre perhaps, um high rise um flats and skyscrapers people actually gave off stress in their body so the heart rate would go a bit quicker their blood pressure would would rise their cortisol levels would be higher they 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 gave off a stressed appearance you know their breathing rate would become shallower and char- and sharper and when they looked upon pictures of natural environments like animals or woodland or meadows or the beach rolling hills you know the beautiful picturesque pictures you can think of um their body had the complete opposite effect and this is a physical reaction you know it's not oh that looks great oh that's lovely it makes me feel nice this is a physical chemical reaction within our body happening just from simply looking at a picture of nature and <clears throat> during the 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 beginning of the um the lockdown that we're we're experiencing i'm obviously we're very lucky where we live we've we've never had the we we've all we've, we've had freedom throughout the whole of this because of where we live because there's literally nobody here and it's all private land um and so we haven't experienced the the same thing that somebody that perhaps lives in a city or a town has experienced and at the point of me putting the virtual tours and the virtual things on the arboretum pages um was that i knew scientifically that it would help people and the amount of people i spoke to that and i said you know 
look at the videos, go on YouTube, Google Birdsong, listen to it. The RSPB do Birdsong Radio, listen to it, you know. Look at pictures of woodlands, pictures of the beach, listen to whale song, watch a live aquarium stream, you know, anything you can find because it will help you. And if you can't get outside, it's the very best thing you can be doing to help yourself to feel better and not just mentally and emotionally, physically as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, it's it's interesting because uh, we, we've noted for a long time that when we've taken uh, wild animals out of their natural environments, we place them into, um, you know, it's an extreme example, but we put them into zoos and they, they have for a very long time, I know they're, very, they're working on producing, mimicking their natural environments, but the animals can tell that they're not their usual environments. And for a long time, they were nothing like their usual environments at all. Um, and that, that has caused so many um, mental and physical issues for those for those animals and it's you know we're, we're also animals and we spend yeah. an awful lot of time nowadays outside of those uh, those those natural areas um, in the wild spaces and it's it's no wonder that you know we are seeing a lot of mental health issues and like chronic illness and you know, this isn't just being caused by nature connection but those scientific studies that you are referencing show that it's definitely having a, a significant impact um you know with a lot of medical conditions it's usually a, a a multitude of factors that contribute towards it but the the fantastic thing about the the nature work that that you're suggesting is that like you were saying, even if someone is in a hospital bed, they can still access some of that power by bringing up a photo on a screen and just looking at that. And it means Absolutely. that even the most restricted of people can can at least tap into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I really, until I experienced what I experienced in the hospital, I hadn't given it a huge amount of thought. You know, what if somebody can't access this? And it, it kind of shows during, you know, March and April this year when, when people really couldn't go outside that naturally everybody's sort of uh, gravitated towards their gardens. I'm at my local garden centre. I know them quite well personally. Um, they were sold out of compost and plants and they were delivering and they were run off their feet. They've never been so busy. And people all of a sudden had this, urge to reconnect with their natural environment whether it's a tiny yard or whether it's a huge country estate perhaps you know and it was really interesting to see people needing to go for walks you know the amount of people we saw around here walking and needing to get out and it was almost a natural thing a natural necessity that the body was sort of saying come on you need to go outside come on you need to go outside you know and it's it's ironic that you know, this 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 virus is. They say it's um, it's killed by sunlight. For example, I think that's one of the things I've read. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of power for our bodies. You know, to to ward off illness, sickness, disease, viruses from the natural world. And if you looking in medicine, our medicine comes from nature. You know. And it's interesting, you know, my kids obviously, you know, live and breathe this stuff as well. And my 10-year-old, 
um, we were having a chat over breakfast the other day. My 10-year-old actually said that he, he thought that that the cure for the virus would probably be found in nature. And I thought, you know, he's not wrong. I bet he's not wrong, you know? Hmm. Yeah, and that, that's, that's the, the, uh, the child's intuition again coming forward, return to nature, so powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what would you say to someone if they, you know, they've heard this conversation, they are on the edge of stepping out in an intentional way and connecting with nature... Is, is there like a best like first exercise that they could do or like a, a simple way, like a, a, an easy inroad for them to have a first experience? Yeah, I mean, depending on the weather, because um, depending on the weather, because not everybody wants to go out in the rain. I, I don't mind. But, you know, if you've got clear skies, even if you've got cloudy sky, you know, it, just simply in your garden or out the window you can start gazing at the sky that's incredibly powerful yeah um if you can get under a tree there's nothing better than sitting under a tree or lying under a tree and just looking up into the canopy it's fascinating and it's such a a, a powerful experience just looking into the canopy of a tree and the, you know probably the easiest thing is go for a walk you know find somewhere as natural as possible, a local park, woodland, field, meadow, and go for a walk. And whilst you're walking, um, just switch your senses on. What do you see? What do you he- hear? You know, what does the ground feel like under your feet? What does the grass feel like as you run your hand through it? Just switching your senses on. And if you find that your mind is is overwhelming you and it's kicking in on a regular basis, switch back to your senses. So constantly what can I see? What can I hear? What can I feel? Picking up something like a stone is incredibly grounding. So sitting and just holding a stone or a pebble in your hand and just focusing on what it feels like, close your eyes perhaps, it's it's lovely and it's really, really grounding. So just, I think, going out, go for a walk, experience absolutely everything. If you're in a city, Something I like doing if I'm in a city or a built-up town is I walk the streets and I see if I can spot nature because nature's amazing. It gets everywhere. You know, Budlia, for example, it grows out the side of, of motorway bridges. It's absolutely everywhere. You'll find flowers popping up through the cracks in the pavement. You might find grass appearing on the side of a building, moss on a stone and on a wall somewhere. You know, if you're looking, you'll notice it. And don't forget, you know, the sky is always above our heads. Yeah, that's something that you can always come back to. And, and the air that we're all breathing as well is so, yeah. so connecting. Something that I love to return to is, you know, if I am sitting on the ground or I'm holding like a rock or something, it always comes to me that the elements that make my body, you know, this is totally, even if you're looking at it from a non-spiritual point of view, scientific point of view, that all of the elements that are in my body, all of everything that I have has been given to me by the earth scientifically. Absolutely. And Absolutely. at one time or another, I could have had, you know, parts of me in a, a rock or a tree or, a, or an animal. And those particular elements have come together now to create the life form that I'm in at this time. And uh, that always grounds me. But one thing I'd add as well is to say, because I've, I've really like given this a go over the last um, few months, like spending more mindful time in nature. 
I feel like it makes a huge difference if I'm doing it without technology. I'm not saying that technology is bad all the time, but to have my mobile phone on loud in my pocket, it can be a bit of a distraction um, because even if you're not on it at the time, sometimes you can even have that part of your mind still like active you know, thinking about yeah. what could be going on. Like, have I got an email through from work or, you know, what's going on outside of this space that I'm in at this time. Um, and I take it, this is something that you probably recommend to people as well. Yeah. I, uh, I actually run digital detox retreats and, um, the, the point of these retreats is people come along, they hand over their mobile phones and they're totally disconnected from technology for about three or four days and they obviously know what they've signed up for they've signed up for a reason you know and it's fascinating to see whilst you know I'm not suggesting everybody chucks their mobile phones away and goes and lives in a treehouse in the woods or something like that I think (laughs) it's about having balance yeah and it's about setting boundaries for yourself boundaries that you know are realistic and boundaries that you know are healthy and I actually have my own boundaries in place like I said earlier that I'm not great on social media I don't always respond to messages instantly. I'm not always hanging on the other side of an email. And, you know, I don't take my phone to bed with me. My phone doesn't come in the bedroom. Um, and we don't have the TV on all the time. We have a TV, but it's not on all the time. And and I have these boundaries in place because I know it's what keeps me healthy and my family healthy. Um, so I do believe it's about balance because while technology is amazing and it's helpful and it's useful, it's also quite damaging as well if it's used too much. And when I do these um, retreats, it's fascinating to see. So generally, the people that come on these retreats are very busy people, very um, high techy, business, business minded, attached to their phones a lot. And they're open about it. You know, they'll say, I use my phone far too much. And handing it over can be quite a stressful experience for them because the realisation, I mean, if you've ever lost your phone before or misplaced your phone, you know, you can feel like the world is going to end just because you don't know where your phone is, for goodness sake, you know. And real- realistically, it's not, is it? Life is still carrying on, even if you don't have your mobile phone. And, you know, these people hand over their mobile phones and there's only ever been one lady who wouldn't part with her phone. And we came to an agreement where she wouldn't check it, and I had to trust she was going to do this. And um, I believe she did as well. And everybody else handed their mobile phones in. And then they go throughout these days and we do mindfulness. We're outside. They stay in log cabins. You know, there's running water, but there's no electricity. So it's candlelight, log burners. It's a beautiful place to do it. And we do sunrise walks. We do silent walks. So we spend a lot of time in silence as well, which is a very powerful thing to do. But it's all guided and supported. You know, I'm there all the time. Um, so nobody's just sort of left in the woods on their own or anything like that. And um, at the end of this retreat, it's always really interesting to see the reaction of people when they come round to having their phones back. Because a lot of them are sort of like, well, actually, yeah, I don't want it back. Please don't give it to me. No, I really don't want my phone back. Yeah. I've even had a couple who I had to chase to give them their phones back because they left, completely left without their mobile phones. I was like, you need your phones. You've forgotten them. But it's, um, and the feedback's always really good, you know. Um, hopefully putting boundaries in place for people or, or helping people, aiding people to put those, their own boundaries in place and be a little bit more disciplined with their technology use and their 
and, and inspire them to notice a little bit more of the natural world. So when we do the walking and the mindfulness outside, um, a lot of people have said, you know, well, I didn't realise that. I never noticed that before. Or they fed, fed back afterwards and said, you know, I just did a walk with my family and we did this and we did that and it was amazing. And it's really nice to hear, hear that kind of feedback, to know that... It, there's a ripple effect isn't there they've gone off they've told their friends they've taught their kids and, it, and it's spreading you know it's and it's such a good thing to be able to spread um yeah so so you know technology is um it, it I found it difficult writing the book because obviously I, I did threaten the publishers with writing on a typewriter which I don't think they liked uh-huh. very much uh, <laughs> they were like please yeah. don't do that Faith. um <laughs> But I used, obviously, the laptop. I spent hours and hours in front of a laptop. And it was really tough. It was really tough for me, um, personally, to, to, to have that. And I haven't had to practice what I preach as much in my entire life because of what I was doing, because I was sitting at a screen a lot of the time for hours on end. I was taking regular breaks, going outside, not taking my phone with me if I go for walks, that sort of thing. And really, really being clear with my boundaries. Um, And I like to think I do that now, especially with having the kids at home. They're not at school or nursery at the moment. I'm, I'm being really strict about my working hours, my working time, because I still have to earn money. I still have to do my job. But equally, I've got my children at home now. So things have changed. And it, it's it's forcing me even more to say, actually, that gets switched off. That's not being looked at. I've got emails piling up. I can't look at them today and I'm not going to look at them. Um, something we found on the retreats is, you know, something like emailing and messaging as well. It, it may, gives us this sort of almost it's almost like um, an illusion of being connected. And I suppose you are in one sense, but you're also quite disconnected in another sense. And. You, you you might get an email and you there's anxiety from either end of the scale when it comes to emails. So you will get an email, you'll receive an email and you might have a little bit of anxiety created because you've received that email and you can't respond straight away or you feel you need to respond to that email. I can sit here and think right now, I know I've got about three emails which involve the general public. So other people via my work in the Arboretum that... I need to respond to but I don't work again until Monday and I now have to sit here for days knowing they're there and not responding till Monday and that's tough because I feel that anxiety I, I want to respond to those people you know to make me feel better if anything but for them as well but equally I'm not working till Monday so I've really got to be strict with myself because otherwise I'll be constantly emailing and responding to people, which just isn't healthy for me and my family either. Yeah. Um, so at one end, not replying can cause anxiety, but also you send an email or a message and you're waiting for a response. That also causes anxiety. So you get a, a form of anxiety just from messaging and emailing alone, you know, but I think the, the the starting factor is, is to be aware of it, how it makes you feel and to be really, really strict with your boundaries and give yourself permission. You know, something I've found a lot with the people I've worked with is just having permission to switch off is such an amazing thing because people think or feel that they have to be switched on available 24 seven that is not healthy it's not healthy for absolutely anybody Mm. and giving yourself permission to switch your phone off to not take your phone to bed with you 
is such an empowering action. It's so empowering and it's hugely healthy as well. Yeah, and the yeah the, the antidote to those stresses, the the emails and such, is yeah like getting out in in nature and feeling and feeling present. And I found that yeah. when I go for a, even just a small walk, I find it very easy to let go of the the things that maybe troubling me when I was in my room. Um, yeah. But if I try to let go of them in my room, you know, I, I'm connected to, you know, no nature in my room and I find it a lot more difficult to let those things go because nature, eventually, it will just, it, it calms things down in the mind and it's a, it's a, a truly yeah. fantastic force. And another thing I'd add onto what you said earlier, um, is to is to say that when people are out in in nature uh, as an antidote to maybe stress or, or technology or whatever um you know things will start to come up like thoughts and you mentioned that it's good to be able to just return back to the present moment and i think a lot of people yeah. can get quite frustrated initially when they are mm. you know walking through their park trying to give nature connection a go mindfulness a go and they feel like bombarded by loads of thoughts and I think yeah. people are under the illusion that they have to like get it a hundred percent like Zen mode and just walk through the park yeah. and listen to one particular bird and not be distracted. <laughs> and that's just not like human minds, you know, we are yeah. pretty scatty most of the time. Yeah. And we we're always that the, the natural human condition is to be able to pick up on lots of different things. We're always scanning the Absolutely. environment. And I, I just yeah. wanted to kind of put the message out there to people that it's okay if lots yeah. of things are going through your mind, it's not about being perfect. It's about making the time in the day. Exactly. It's, it's about having that practice, that moment where you're giving it a go, where you're reconnecting, not just with the natural world, but with yourself as well. Mm. And if your mind is doing what minds do completely naturally, that's what they do. Minds are busy. They're filled with thoughts. Thoughts come and go. The majority of thoughts, if you don't attach to them, will just move on. It's when we attach to them that they start to become bigger and bigger and bigger and more troublesome. And it's it's practice. Like anything, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. You know, we go to the gyms, we work out our bodies, we forget about our minds. And if you don't have a healthy mind, you won't have a healthy body. You know, you can beast yourself in the gym as much as you like, but you really need to start with your mind and it takes practice you know I have days where I can't focus I can't walk around the trees and appreciate the trees as much as I'm trying Mm. there might be something troubling me or worrying me or bothering me and I have all the tools you know I, 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 I try to practice what I preach but I can't do it every single day and and nor would I expect myself to do that every single day either because putting your pressure on on yourself isn't healthy either some days it will be easy. Some days the world will be in all its glory and technicolor. You'll hear every bird in the sky. Other days you'll have that big black cloud over your head. And that's okay too. It's about giving yourself a break and just keep practicing. Just keep practicing. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's the consistency and finding those small things. I love yeah. what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Like, wild, like nature spotting when you're in a city, like playing a game with yourself, like even yeah. seeing a small little flower coming up through the pavement 
and and just appreciating that nature always finds a way and it's it's the baseline of everything that we have on this planet um yeah i i found it i researched a little bit in the book of nature taking back over reclaiming itself mm. and um it's fascinating to read about and look at um areas on the planet where nature has reclaimed the planet back so it's devoured buildings and landscapes and it's such a powerful thing you know and a lot of the time I say to people you know we are the biggest pest on the planet and if you remove humans from the equation what will nature do you know nature will thrive if you take nature away from our equation we wouldn't be able to survive and I think that's a really really powerful thing to get to get into everybody's heads you know and to make nature a habit you know a healthy habit is you know this brings me back to something that you said in your book about you know the problems with humans as we're living our lives at the moment our society is at a time when we need to connect to nature the most we're we're also destroying it at an incredible rate and in the book you say um this is a, a scientific uh bit of research that, that has come through that 50 percent of wildlife has has been destroyed in the last 50 years and the the uk once had 90 percent of its land area as forest and now only 13 yeah. percent of its land yeah. area is forest just yeah. think of that change that is yeah. massive yeah um it, it's huge change in such a fraction of the time as well um, it's a dangerous change. It's a very dangerous change. And we are already seeing the effects on human beings by the the disease, the virus, the illnesses that are going around, the stress levels, you know, uh, the disconnection people feel and are living, you know. And I think the answer is to, to throw all our effort and energy back into the natural world. And like I said earlier, it really is about balance. I'm not suggesting we chuck our phones away, stop working in the cities and, and move to a treehouse. It's about balance and getting that balance right for everything and everybody. Mm. What, why do you feel from your perspective that we've lost that balance? You know, it's clear that we're not in a great position right now of nature connection. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be disrespecting uh, nature and our life support system in this way. So how do you feel like we've got to this point? I think... Um... I think we're distracted. We're too distracted as animals, you know. We're distracted by power. We're distracted by greed. We're distracted by glory. And we've become so chaotic that a lot of people thrive off the need for stress and busyness and it becomes almost an addiction. And that's also, the, you know, there can be the human makeup as well. You know, we are human. We're probably the most complicated creature on the planet, and that takes some, you know, that takes some doing, you know, sometimes I'm actually watching right now, I've got a tortoise in my room with me, he's a very large tortoise, and he's just mooching around at such a slow pace, he's free range, <laughs> obviously, and he's just mooching around, and he's he's experiencing every single moment of each step he takes of his little life, and we are completely the opposite to that tortoise, you know, we are 100 miles an hour, everywhere we go, everything we do, and we need to slow down, which is what, you know, what we said right at the beginning, you know, what's happened in these recent times has forced people to stop, slow down, perhaps have a rethink of how they're living their lives and how it's making them feel. Um, 
and be a bit calmer, I think. Yeah. I think that, you know, that taps into this really uh, interesting way that we've constructed our system. It's, it's like we've set everything up so that we can go against the rhythms of nature. You know, like we, we yeah. weren't getting yeah. enough light in the day, apparently. So we made electricity and light bulbs so that we could have light all the way through the night if we wanted to. And, you know, I'm not saying that all the innovations that we've made in terms of technology are useless. I think they're fantastic and I use them myself. Yeah. But it's, it's about having that balance. And we've, we've constructed society uh, so that we dominate nature. We control things. We're, we're obsessed with control yeah. sometimes. But we're actually finding out that when we see ourselves as part of nature, not above nature, when we are cooperating yeah. with nature... It can help yeah. us on not only a personal level, you know, with the mindfulness walks in your local park or a forest, seeing yourself as part of that yeah. environment is is innately calming. But also if we take it onto a policy level and look at how we are shaping our systems, seeing ourselves as needing to be in harmony and cooperation with the natural rhythms, hopefully will put us in a, in a much better place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know... It, it just it speaks for itself what's going on at the moment you know um the planet's in chaos in absolute chaos and it's our fault it's in chaos as well and you know the answer is completely the opposite you know the answer is completely the opposite it's calm it's not chaos mm. but i i really feel like you know your book is called the nature of remedy and i think that that works on a personal level and and on a societal level i've got a deep belief that yeah. you know on an on as individuals if we are feeling good in ourselves and connected to the the planet and to other human beings we're going to be putting out better stuff and making better decisions um that, that benefit the community Absolutely. as a whole and and what your book does is it gives people a fantastic roadmap wherever they are in life, you know, even if they're in that hospital bed or even if they have, yeah. um, they're in a high rise flat without any access to nature, it gives them a, a roadmap to start that, that journey of connection again. And if we all go on that journey of connection, we can literally take our planet to a whole new level um, where we will be able to thrive, but also thrive in a community of life that is thriving with us. And, and we're not controlling it and, and uh, yeah, trying to exterminate it, I guess. Absolutely. Nature encourages us to thrive. It wants us to thrive and survive as long as we're looking after it. It's symbiotic. You know, we need to do something for it just like it does something for us. And, you know, that's take care of it, have respect for it, have gratitude for it, live within it because we are part of it. We are part of nature. You know, there's no getting away from that. And you can have, you know, the smartest job in a high rise flat in the busiest city. There's no getting away from the fact that you are such a big part of nature and you are connected. The food you eat, the medicines you take, the air you breathe, the ground you walk upon... And the more and the longer we abuse what gives us life, you know, the the more sad, you know, the, the sadder it's going to become. Mm. But, you know, part of me looks at the situation we have now and, and thinks, you know what? Well, if there's one time when we've got the biggest signal to make this shift yeah. happen, 
you know, this is the perfect time. Yeah. It's it's just, Absolutely. you know, things are getting to a level where, you know, we're literally changing the climate, the 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 life yeah. support systems that are on a on a macro scale on our planet, like um, the ocean yeah. currents and things like that. You know, this is a, a time when people um, can either make a choice to start connecting with this or they can just look at the signals that are coming forward that will interrupt all of our lives eventually. Um, Absolutely. And there's and there's the ripple effect. You know, the more people do it, the more people will carry on and the bigger and the better it will become. So I believe, you know, it starts with ourselves. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts to anybody listening. It starts with those people first and it spreads out and it ripples and it ripples positively and it will just get bigger and wider and wider. The more connections will be made, you know, because when you reconnect with the natural world, your connection with other people improves and other things improve and your connection with yourself improves. So, you know, this is a really, really positive thing, not just for the planet, but for humankind itself, Mm. you know. Um, and we've got to do something because, you know, the past few years has shown us that if we don't, you know, tragedies are occurring all over the planet for various different reasons because of our behaviour, because of our disconnection, because of the way we're treating the natural world, because of the way we're treating our planet that gives us life and it needs to change. Yeah, the, the book starts off with a really fantastic, uh, powerful phrase we, we can't survive without nature yet without us nature would thrive and yeah. it just it really brings it home that you know people say we need to save the environment and immediately we assume that the environment is the the thing that needs saving because we're making it the yeah. the subject of of that that quote but actually what the environment does is it supports us so really we're saving ourselves yeah. and the environment will be fine and eventually rebound yeah. whatever happens yeah, to us. Exactly. Nature doesn't need us. Mm. It doesn't actually need us. Nature would thrive without us on the planet, but we cannot live without nature. And that is such a powerful thing to think about because that says everything. It says absolutely everything. And I wish everybody on the planet would take that on board. Yeah, well, I think we're we're getting there, Faith. Don't worry, <laughs> we'll get the messages. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, well, we're getting to the, the end of the conversation. I always have a, a last few questions that I ask people uh, before we wrap things up. Um, so I just wanted to ask you uh, if you had a, a phone call with the twenty-year-old Faith, what would you tell her? Oh gosh. Um, what would I tell her? Ooh, um, I would teach her mindfulness. Mm. I would start right back at the beginning and I would say, don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget the simple things in life. Don't forget the obvious things. Try not to make things too complicated because it doesn't need to be. That's probably what I'd say. Yeah, and I'm sure that's had such a great impact on your well-being, um, you know, having mindfulness in your yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And before I ask the the last question, where can people connect with you if they've heard the conversation today and they want to find out more about your stuff and get hold of the book as well, uh, The Nature Remedy, um, which is which is out this month. It's on the 25th, right, of June? 
Yeah, so it's available for um, pre-order at the moment and it's actually released on the 25th, which I think um, is next Friday as we're talking right now. Um, you can buy it online from Amazon, Waterstones, HarperCollins, um, any sort of online bookstore has it. Um, I think bookshops have opened up, so a lot of bookshops hopefully will be stocking it as well. Um, and to connect with me, I've got a website, um, which is www.shinrinyoku.co.uk. Um, I'm on Twitter at Thought Pero, Instagram, Faith in the Woods, um, and Facebook as well. Lovely, and uh, you know I got to say the the book, yeah, like looking for it last night, it really struck me how you know it gave so much to me as someone who has. I'm sort of out of the beginning phase of connecting with nature and I feel like I'm, I've, I've got a, a well-established connection, but it was still giving me so much value as someone who's more experienced. But I could also see so much that the beginner coming to the nature connection space could gain from that book. It's, it's a lovely presentation of lots of different bits it, of research and your story personally too. Yeah, you never stop learning. You know, I've been practicing this for a number of years now. And there's never a day where I go out and I don't see something different or I see something new. You're always learning. Every time I do something, it's different. It's a different experience, a different mindset, a different feeling, a different thoughts are involved, different environments, weather, seasons. It changes all the time. So no two experiences are ever the same. And it's a constant classroom. You know, you're always learning from nature. Every day's a school day, huh? <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. All right, Faith, if, if you had a magic wand and I granted you uh, one wish with the wand, when you waved it, everybody on the planet would take up one new daily habit. What would your wand make everybody do? It would, they would uh, make nature their habit. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Just spending time in nature every day, getting out there and yeah. doing it. Love it. Yeah. Well... Before we wrap things up, I just want to say um, a huge thank you to you, Faith, for spending the time and joining me on the podcast today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the, the conversation. Yes, I have. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much, Tom, for listening um, and, and joining. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, I'm excited to say that to finish off our podcast today, Faith will be doing a guided nature connection mini meditation that only takes four minutes and I'd like to invite all of you out there listening or watching to take part and give yourself some time to relax. Faith will be leading a blue sky meditation that's actually featured in her book. If you want to join outdoors, I would suggest pausing the show now and finding a spot on some grass outdoors to lie on and gaze at the sky. If you can't get outside and you're watching inside on YouTube, during the meditation, you can look at your device screen as there'll be a video of Blue Sky playing there to look at and relax. And if you're just listening today, feel free to also join in just by closing your eyes and mindfully listening. The visuals aren't essential. We will play some, some bird song and nature sounds in the podcast audio for you to meditate with. And remember, anytime your mind wanders, you don't need to judge your thoughts or criticise, just Allow yourself to come back to the present moment by focusing on your senses. There's no goal to reach here. 
Just before we get going with the meditation, I want to say a quick thank you to our listeners for joining us for the podcast. As always, please do subscribe if you enjoy the conversation so you can listen to future shows. I really appreciate anyone listening on iTunes who has been enjoying Second Mind to leave a review of the podcast on the iTunes podcast platform as it helps the show get out to a lot more people. Please do also share the podcast in your circle so that your friends can hear about the great power of nature connection too. But now without further ado, I'll hand over to Faith for a very special mini meditation to end the show. Enjoy. So just allowing yourself to find a comfortable spot. Perhaps you're lying in the garden with a clear expanse of sky overhead. Beautiful blue sky, fluffy white clouds. Or perhaps you're sitting at home and you're either listening to this track, the birds singing, the breeze softly blowing. Or you're looking at the screen with the beautiful blue sky and the white clouds slowly drifting past. And let's just take a few moments to calm your mind by taking some slow, deep breaths. So breathing in and a full release out. Breathing in and breathing out. And just try to allow any worries that might come to mind, any pains, any sensations of uncomfortableness. Just, you don't need to change them. You don't need to do anything about it. Just allow them to slowly melt away. Breathing in. And breathing out. Each time you find that your mind wonders, and minds do, just gently bring it back to the breath. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in. And breathing out. Try to see your thoughts as passing clouds and just simply let them drift on by. Breathing in and breathing out. As you breathe in, just notice how it dissolves into the space inside of you. And each time you breathe out, just notice how it dissolves into the space outside of you. Keep following the in-breath 
and keep following the out-breath as they dissolve in the inner space and the outer space as part of the same cycle. Breathing in and breathing out. Notice how the inner space of the mind and the outer space of your being are exactly the same. The inner space is at one with the outer space. Now as you bring your awareness gently back to your surroundings, perhaps wiggle your fingers Wiggle your toes, perhaps licking your lips, making some slight movements. And gently, on a breath that feels right for you, slowly open your eyes.